Good morning. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. What a blessing uh, to be coming to you live again. Thank you for joining us here at the Grace Chapter Church online service. And I believe that you are going to be blessed by the ministry of the Word of God this morning. I'm sure you are inviting your friends. I'm sure you are calling everybody. And you're also sharing this broadcast because we're going to continue from where we left off uh, in the last teaching. Uh, thank you very much for your prayers and thank you for your love. And thank you to all our partners who always cause this to be possible through their generous contributions. Um, we are able to come live each and every week to minister the undiluted word of God. Thank you very, very much. We truly appreciate uh, your ministry. We appreciate your love. And to everybody who always tunes in to watch, you are the reason why we keep on coming. You know, we keep on coming because we know that there are people who are hungry for the truth of God's word. And there are people who want to uh, have the word of God minister to them each and every time. And we appreciate you. We love you. Uh, and we keep praying for you during these tough times. We know that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Praise the Lord. Uh, if you can, join me as we turn together to the book of Hosea, chapter number 2. Hosea, chapter number 2, that's where we are today. Uh, continuing from last week, Hosea, chapter number 2, we are going to read verse number 19 through to verse number 20. Just a quick recap for the benefit of those who did not get to watch the first teaching. Uh, we talked about important things last week. We talked about what God said to Hosea. He says, in that day you will not call me uh, Baal or you will not call me Master, but you will call me Ishi. You will call me your husband. So there was a, a promise that the relationship between Israel and God was going to transition and move from uh, that of a master and a slave or a servant to that of a husband and a wife. And in order for that movement to take place, then it meant that there was a need for the change of the covenant, which means the old covenant was to be done away with and the new covenant was going to be introduced. The exact same thing that we also find written in the book of Hebrews that where there is a change of priesthood, there also has to be a change of the law or there has to be a change of the covenant. So right now we are in that day that was prophesied. It's not in the future. So as we read our Bibles, we should read with the understanding that now is the time and this is the day that the Lord was talking about because the new covenant was already established by the shedding of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today we are on verse number 19 uh, through to verse number 20. It says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth to, uh, you to me in faithfulness. You shall know the Lord. Now, there are quite a number of words there that are repeated uh, the first that is repeated is betrothed. You know, it's mentioned in those two verses, the word betrothed is mentioned three times. I will betroth you. I will betroth you. I will betroth you. And again, the two words, you know, God is saying, I will, I will, I will. He repeats the very same thing again three times. I will, I will, I will. Now, why is he repeating this three times? The reason why he's repeating this three times is for us to know the importance of what he's saying. He is saying, by saying, I will, I will, I will, he is simply showing us that it is his duty, not our duty. In case at some point somebody comes to tell you that it is your responsibility, you will say, no, it's not my responsibility because God says, I will. And he said that I will, now he has already done that. You'll find that same uh, scenario in the book of Genesis chapter number 12 when God called Abraham. Abraham at that particular time. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you 
and I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. So God is putting it upon himself to bless Abraham. I will do it. I will make you. So it was not for Abraham to make himself. Many a times religion tells us that we need to make ourselves. We need to do it ourselves. It's like a do-it-yourself kind of project. You know, it all lies with you. And we quote those scriptures that we find in Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But we miss what the Bible says on verse number 13. It is God who works within you. Which means whatever we are calling working out, it is actually the work of God working within us. So God says here, I will, I will, I will. You are the bride. It is the responsibility of the groom to find the bride. He who finds a wife, it is the responsibility of the man to find the woman. He who finds, he who finds. So when you are found, you know that the one who has found you has got everything figured out. The one who has found you has got a plan. The one who has found you has got a purpose. The one who has found you is going to go through and prepare everything that needs to be prepared. So we did not get into this marriage. We did not get ourselves betrothed by what we did. He says, I am the one who will betroth you to me forever. So he continues to emphasize, I will, I will, I will. It's me doing it. So what is your responsibility? Your responsibility and my responsibility is to receive what he has already given to us by grace. It is not for us to work it out, but it is for us to receive what God has given us by grace. That's why the Bible says, you did not choose yourself, but I chose you. It was me choosing you. It's not you. You did not choose yourself. I chose you, right? I chose you. I paid. He's the groom. I pay. If there is a bridal price that is needed, I'll do the pay, right? If there is a provision that needs to be done, I will do the provision because the promise is I will. And that is what God says in his word. So he says, I will betroth you to me. And the other key word that we find there is the word forever. I will do it. I will betroth you to me forever. So the focus for today is going to be on righteousness because he says here, verse number 19, yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness. That's the first word that we'll look at today. I will betroth you to me in righteousness. So he is bringing in one important point there, and that is the aspect of righteousness. I am righteous, and I cannot be betrothed you when you are in your sins. I will make you right, and because I will make you right, by you being right, me, the righteous one, and you, the righteous one, are going to come together and become one. You know, the Bible says through you know, the mouth of uh, Paul, the apostle, he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So God is wise. He cannot be unequally yoked with us in our state of unbelief. Therefore, he has to make us right. And that's the promise that he gave us. I will make you right. And when you come into the New Testament, he fulfills that by providing righteousness of every man's sin. And all we need to do is to receive what the groom has already paid for. Because the promise is that I will do it. I will do it. Now let me just make something um, clear there as we move to the very first point. You know, marriage is something that, you know, a lot of people during these times don't really value that much as, much as much as it was valued then. You know, there are divorces that are taking place everywhere. Oh, you don't make me happy, I'm out. You know, everybody is in it for their selfish things. And, um, you know, at one time a few years ago, God spoke to me uh, and he revealed to me this whole picture of, you know, marriage and how people are taking the same kind of marriages that we are having in the natural uh, with our spouses in the physical and we use the or we carry the same view into the marriage that we have with the Lord. We carry the same understanding. 
we feel like God treats me the same way my spouse treats me. If my husband is rude, if my wife is rude, that's the very same picture that we take into our relationship with God. And many, many women, um, I'm sure, you know, you know, in our African culture, when you are about to go to your groom or when you are about to get married, you know, your, your aunties, they'll sit down with you, the elderly women, they'll sit down with you, and usually they give you a number of things that you should do or not do in order for you to keep your marriage. They'll tell you now that you're going to your husband, you need to cook for him so that you keep your marriage. You know, you need to take care of him so that you keep your marriage. And to the guy, you know, a whole list of things are given. So you see, this is what you need to do. You don't need to do this. If you do this, you will be divorced. If you do this, you will be divorced. Do this in order for you to remain in the marriage. So usually when, we, when that woman comes into that relationship, they are trying to do. Nobody is told, well, you love each other. Go and love each other. Go and love each other. You love each other. Go and do what lovers do. But we are told, so before you even get into the marriage, you already have a burden of trying to keep the marriage. The very same thing that happens to most of us when we get born again. Before or the very moment that we get born again, we already have a burden to keep our relationship with Jesus. And we feel it is for us to keep. It is The burden is on us to maintain this relationship. Otherwise, if we don't, we are going to be kicked out. Otherwise, if we don't, we are going to be divorced. But here is the promise. I will betroth you to me forever. It is God speaking. He is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and not done? Has he spoken and not make it good? I'm here to remind you that the one that you are in a relationship with said it is forever. And he does not lie. He is unlike the de devil. He does not deceive what he says is exactly what he does. The book actually says he watches over his word to perform it. It's not for you to wake up in the night and try and watch over the word of the Lord in order for it to come to pass. No, it is God who watches over his word to perform it. Not my responsibility. I don't cause the word of God to come to pass. It is God who causes it to come to pass. And the good news is, he has already made it come to pass in our lives. So now here is point number one. Uh, as we go through this, it says, Only God can make one righteous. He says, I will betroth you in righteousness. It is only God who can make one righteous. Only God can make one righteous. Not God plus another person. In order for you to be righteous, you don't need to be forgiven by you know, God and another person. Psalms chapter 51, verse number 4. Only God can make you righteous. Only God. When you get this, when you let this sink in you, you will not try and get righteousness from everyone else, even from yourself. You know, the Bible says, And against you, only you have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Now, I want to repeat the first part. Against you, only you have I sinned. Now, this is the guy who has taken Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, slept with her, commits adultery, sends Uriah into, into battle, gets him killed, he has committed murder. But now in his prayer, this is what he says. Against you, only you have I sinned. It does not talk about Bathsheba. Although it appears as if he sinned against Bathsheba. He does not talk about Uriah. Although it appears as if he has sinned against Uriah. He does not talk about the whole house of Israel. Although everything points to the fact that he has sinned against the whole house of Israel. But he says, it's only you. And against you only have I sinned. Why is he saying this? He is saying this because he knows that righteousness and justification only comes from God. Then there may be all these other people involved, but when I get everything right with God, 
if the forgiveness that I've received from the Lord now flows to everyone else. The righteousness that I receive from the Lord then flows to everyone else. It is only God who justifies. Now, this helps us because sometimes if we don't, you know, get to understand that it is only God that we sin against, we will try and make peace with everyone else and not God. You will go talk to Bathsheba, you will ask for forgiveness. Right? If you are more religious and try to be more spiritual, you will go to the grave of Uriah, you know, put flowers there and make a little prayer and tell Uriah, you know, although there is no relationship between the living and the dead, you try and tell Uriah, you know what, I'm very sorry, and feel like I've made peace. But you have left up the one being that you have actually sinned against. It is God that you have sinned against. Now, when you know that it is God that you have sinned against, you also know it is God who can make you right. You can, you can ask forgiveness from Bathsheba, but Bathsheba will not be able to make you right. I'm not saying that you don't have to. You have to. But everything has to start from the very core. Everything has to start from the very top. It is against you and you alone. So that when God calls you righteous, then your righteousness, you become bold and confident in it. Regardless of who is still keeping a grudge against you, you are very confident that you have been made right by the one that you have sinned against. It is only God who can make you right because it is only God that you have sinned against. And number two, righteousness is a gift. Remember, we are talking about this, I betroth you, I will betroth you in righteousness. And he has already betrothed us. And we have already received that righteousness. And that righteousness is a gift. It is a gift. It is a gift. It is a gift. It does not have a track record of work. It does not have a track record of sweat. You know, it, this, is, this is the scenario that I just want to give to you so that you, you get a better picture of righteousness as a gift. So you are here at point A. You are in mud, you are in sin, you are dying at this point, point A, right? You don't know how you can get out of this mess. Then Jesus comes down, he comes to your point A, and he becomes all that you are at point A. Now, point B is righteousness, right? Is the point of righteousness. So Jesus comes, he lives out the life of righteousness, and he takes you in himself. And he carries you. And he begins to walk from point number A. He walks and he gets you to point number B, which is the point of righteousness. He walks with you and he has taken you in him. He has carried you. And now he does the walking and he gets to point number B. When he gets to point number B, this is the point of righteousness. I want you to see this. Now, if you are to check the walk, you don't find your footsteps because you were in him. You don't find your footsteps because you were carried in him. And you are, while he has carried you, he has carried you in righteousness, in righteousness. Now, if you are to look back at what you did, you realize you did not do anything. The only footsteps that you are going to see are the footsteps of Jesus. No one else's footsteps. The only footsteps that you are going to see they are the footsteps of Jesus. It is only Him and Him alone. Isn't this beautiful? It is given to you as a gift. You don't labor for it. You don't work for it. You don't fast for it. You don't tithe for it. You don't give for it. You don't partner for it. Righteousness is given to you as a gift. So you need to quit doing stuff in order for you to become righteous because you have already been made right. And your footsteps should never be seen. It is only his footsteps that are seen because you are in him and it has been given to you as a gift. Romans chapter 5 verse 17. Romans chapter 5 verse 17. The Bible says, For it is by one man's offense death reigned through the one. Much more those who have received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. We have received the gift of righteousness. 
Now, you can only reign in this life when you understand righteousness as a gift. If you do not have an understanding of righteousness as a gift, you need to forget about reigning. Why? Because you keep laboring, you keep working, you keep suffering, you keep fighting. So you will not have time to reign in this life because you are trying to attain, you are trying to earn the righteousness. But the moment you realize it has been given to you as a gift, then you begin to reign. Not in that life that is to come, but in this life. Because the life that is to come is the very life that we are living now. Eternal life is not something that is in the future. Eternal life is the very life that we are enjoying now because we have received the life of God and we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's why the Bible says, you know, John chapter number 17, verse number 3, you know, uh, eternal life, it is to know God and His Son that He has sent. That is eternal life. And the Bible also says in First John chapter number 5, you know, verse 11 and 12, this is the testimony that we have, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So righteousness is given to us as a gift in order for us to reign in this life and also in the life to come. Now, I want you to see something that is in the book of Romans, chapter number 10. Just to try and emphasize this, this fact that righteousness is given to us as a gift. You don't labor for it. You don't fast for it. You don't go to the mountain in order for you to get it. So if righteousness is given to you as a gift, salvation is given to you as a gift, then what follows is what is essential and important. Every other thing is given to you as a gift. The anointing given to you as a gift. God cannot say, well, you are made righteous. It is a gift that I'm giving you. But everything thereafter, you need to labor for it. No. Everything in the kingdom of God, it is the gift that we have received from God and we only access that gift by faith. Now check this out. Romans chapter number 10. I'm going to read from verse number 1 through to verse number 10. Uh, I want you to follow me as I read. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal, a zeal for God but not according to knowledge, which means you can be on fire, you can be zealous, but without knowledge. It says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, which is given, by the way, as a gift. They are ignorant of the righteousness of God, which is given to us as a gift. And seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God, not have not labored, not have not sought, have not submitted. So because it is a gift, we need to humble ourselves, submit ourselves to that which is given to us. Have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Not everyone who prays too hard, not everyone who feels like it, but everyone who believes which means you are righteous whether you feel it or you don't feel it. As long as you have believed, you are righteous. You know, I gave an example, I think it was in the other teaching, that you don't, you don't need to feel like you are educated. You are educated. Whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it, if you are educated, you are educated. Right? If you are black, you are black. Whether you feel like you are black or you don't feel like you are black, if you are white, you are white. It's not, it, it has nothing to do with how you feel. Why is it we make our righteousness a thing about feelings, a thing about our five senses? No, righteousness is a fact. It is a truth that has been given to us by God and all we need to do is enjoy it and live it out. Now listen now verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. Are you seeing the difference between a gift and what you earn. The Bible says a man who does, a man who works. Remember the footsteps? A man who has walked. There is an effort that is involved. But that, that is the righteousness according to the law. A man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. 
This is the part that I want. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Are you seeing this? Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. The word is not somewhere else. The word is near you. How near is the word? The word is in your mouth. Not only in your mouth. The word is in your heart. And that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him up from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Are you seeing this? This is the righteousness that is given to us as a gift. And I want you to know that you know you don't you don't need because it, in terms of sin you did not need to work for it what makes you think you need to work for righteousness can i say this you were found in christ before you were actually lost in adam you were found in christ before you were lost in adam that's very critical because he is the lamp that was slain before the foundation of the ages and the bible says to those he foreknew he predestined and those that he predestined, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And you are the one. It is only when you come into Christ Jesus that you will have a revelation that before you were lost in Adam, you were actually found in Christ. Number three. Christ is your righteousness. Christ is your righteousness. Remember we said, number one, you are you only sin against God and you are only made right by God. And number two, righteousness is a gift. You don't need to work for it. You don't need to labor for it. And number three now is you are, your righteousness is Christ. Christ is your righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 to 31. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 30 to 31. I hope you are being blessed by the ministry of the word. It says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us from God, and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Christ has become for us right wisdom from God, he has become for us righteousness, he has become for us sanctification, he has become for us redemption. So who is your righteousness? My righteousness is Christ. Why do you say my righteousness is Christ? Why do you say my righteousness is Christ? Because I cannot see my footsteps. I cannot track my footsteps. I was in him. He carried me in himself when he lived on this earth and he fulfilled the law. He carried me in himself when he bore my sins on the cross, died for me on the cross was buried and was raised on the third day. I was in him. I was with him. I identify with him. That's why people are baptized. We are baptized into Christ Jesus. And baptism in water becomes that symbol that shows to the world that I was with him. When all those things were happening, he carried me in himself. So he has become to me righteousness. So righteousness to me is a gift. It is not of my labor it is not of my effort. This has to sink in your spirit. So that next time when somebody comes to you and says, why do you say you are righteous, yet you have this weakness? You say, my righteousness is a gift. My righteousness is a person. And that person is Christ. And as long as I have Christ, I am righteous. And how do I know that he is still with me? Because he says, I will betroth you to me forever. Not until you sin. Not I will betroth you to myself if you walk right, no, I will betroth you to me forever. No conditions attached. No good behavior card attached. No prayer bands attached. No fasting attached. Nothing attached. I will betroth you to me forever. And he says, I will do that in righteousness. And this is the righteousness that he gives to us. And he has already given to us that righteousness. Now, look at verse 31. It says, 
that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So where is my boasting? My boasting is in the Lord because I cannot see my footsteps. My boasting is in the Lord because I never sweated. My boasting is in the Lord because I was never in the field. I never bore, you know, the heat of the day. Where is my boasting? My boasting is in the one who died for my sins. My boasting is in the one who took my shame. My boasting is in the one who took my pain, who took my, my sickness, one who took every affliction, every tribulation, every trial, every, every suffering that I ever went through. He is the one who took it upon himself. So my boasting is only in him. I boast and I glory in the righteousness that only God gives. So don't, don't give heed. Don't listen to the enemy. Don't, don't, don't listen to the devil accuse you. You know what? Don't even try and accuse yourself. Next time when the devil tries to bring accusation to you, even using you, you tell him that job is already taken. When you, know, when you hear people accusing you, when you, people, when you hear people throwing bombs at you, they're bringing accusation at you, they're questioning your righteousness, they're throwing you know, words at you that are contrary to what God says about you, what you need to say is, you know what? Look, you are carrying out the job that does not even belong to you. That job was already taken. And the Bible tells us whose job it is. So don't make it your job. Child of God, don't make the accusation of the brethren your job. That job was already taken. Revelation chapter number 12, verse number 10, tells us who took that job. It was already taken. It's not your job to do. It is not my job to do. We are not accusers of brethren. There's only one who accuses brethren. The Bible says... For the accuser of brethren who accuse them before our God day and night has been cast down. There is already one doing it. And is actually doing it much better than you can do it yourself. He does it day and night. He is accusing brethren day and night. Don't join him. Don't be part of that club. Don't be part of those who are accusing. That's why the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And that includes you. You cannot condemn yourself. So don't condemn yourself. Don't be part of the project. It's only the devil who does that. So Christ Jesus is my righteousness. So when you try and accuse me based on my work, based on what I'm doing, well, I'll remind you, I've been made right and Christ is my righteousness. And I've received that righteousness as a gift. And it is against Christ and Christ alone, I mean against God, and God alone have I sinned. And it is only Him who can declare me righteous. Praise the Lord. Number four, praise the Lord. You do not need to prove you are righteous. You don't need to prove that you are righteous. You don't need to prove to anyone that you are righteous. Now this is, this is something that has just helped me, myself, in my walk with the Lord. I don't need to prove to anybody that I'm righteous. I don't need to prove to my wife. I don't need to prove to the people that I lead. I don't even need to prove it to myself that I'm righteous. Right? Because the, the one who always tells you to prove is actually the very same guy that we saw Revelation chapter number 12, verse number 10. He's the one who always tells you prove it. If you are prove it, if you are prove it. Check what he says, Matthew chapter number 4, verse 3. Matthew chapter number 4, verse 3. Check out what he says here. Um, he says, Now when the tempter, right, that's his name, the tempter, the accuser of the brethren, he has got another name, the tempter, said to him, came to him, he said, If you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. If you are, if you continue to read that chapter, you will see, if you are the son of God, right? He actually says that again. Uh, verse number 6, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Right? If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And he says it again. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I'll give you this if you worship me. So you see this? If you are, if you are, if you are, the tempter always comes and says, if you are, prove it. If you are righteous, prove it. Oh, well, you say you're righteous. How come? Prove it. Prove it to me. Let me see it. 
You don't owe it to the enemy. You don't owe it to anybody to prove your righteousness. Because you are. Now, what, what started off is what answers what happens here on chapter number 4. That is chapter number 3, verse 17. Look what had happened. What had happened to Jesus, chapter number 3, uh, verse number 17. The Bible says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Wow. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What I like about this is this statement is not coming at the end of Jesus' ministry. Had it come at the end of Jesus' ministry, we're going to say, well, he had done so well, so he was beloved because of what he did. It is starting at the very beginning of his ministry, before he even began. The announcement is there. This is my beloved son, which means we don't become beloved because we have worked so hard in ministry. You know, we are praying for people. If you are a pastor like I am, or you are a church leader, you know, you try to put so much effort in your work. You try to visit every cell that there is to visit. Why? Because you, you, want, you want it to, to sound like, well, so that God can say, this is my beloved son. You don't become a beloved son because of your ministry, because of your labor, because of your works, because of what you do. You are a beloved son because you are born from above. You are his beloved son because he says you are. You are righteous because you are. So the devil is coming immediately after God said, this is my beloved son. And he comes and says, if you are. And Jesus knew it. Well, his word is more powerful than me trying to prove. I cannot, by proving that I am, I'm questioning the one who said I am. So, not that he could not change the stones into bread. He could do it. But he did not do it because the devil said, do it. He remained in his position of righteousness. He says, I will not do anything to prove it to anybody. Don't try and prove it to anyone. By trying to prove it, it's actually a sign that you question that you are. But guess what? Chapter number 2 of the book of John, what happens there? The Bible says, at the wedding, of Cana and Gal of, uh, uh, the wedding at Cana of Galilee, he turned water into wine. Well, you can, stiff, you can turn stuff water into wine. He can do it. But he does not need to do it because the devil says it or because somebody else says it or because pressure has been given him to do it. So I want to say it to you as a child of God. You don't owe it to anyone to prove that you're righteous. Stop trying to, so hard to prove to people around you. You are because God says you are. Rest in that righteousness which is a gift and you see you just become normal and you just, you just live your life normal. We call our church a normal church for normal people. Why do we say normal church for normal people? Because we don't need to pretend. Normal people don't need to pre pretend. It's only fake people who try to pretend. They want to try and sound like they are not. They want to try and sound holy. We don't try to sound holy. We are holy. Right? We don't even try and perfect stuff. Because in our imperfections, the perfection of God is made manifest. At one time, I, I did a recording and um, you know, someone says, oh, can we edit out some stuff? You know, we, we feel like, oh yeah, where, where, you, where you say this, can we edit it out? Where you say, ah, ah, can we edit it out? Then I say to them, you know what? I don't need to try and show the people that I'm perfect. I'm not perfect. You cannot edit it out and just bring what is, what is pure and what is perfect. No, this is it. I don't need to prove to anybody. This is who I am. This is me. I have to become me. He loved me like me. And I have to do what me does. And what does me does? Me lives out of the righteousness that is in my spirit. Because that's who I am. I am righteous. I lived out of the righteousness in my spirit. Not because I'm proving to somebody, but because that's my nature. So next time when I smile, I'm not smiling because I'm trying to prove to somebody, I'm smiling because that's who I am. When my light is shining bright, I'm not trying to do it to prove to anybody, but I'm letting my light shine. Why? Because that's who I am. Light shines in darkness. It does not shine to prove a point. It shines because it is light. Salt preserves. 
Not because it is trying to, but it preserves because that's its nature. That's its character. It preserves because it preserves. So you live your life and out of that righteousness of your spirit, you surely enjoy the life that we have in Christ Jesus. Don't try and prove your righteousness. You are righteous. You don't need to prove it. That's who you are. Praise the Lord. And now on to our last point for the day. That is point number five. Uh, point number five. That's the last point for today. Ooh, I love this one. It says, uh, you are not single and searching. You are not single and searching. Remember, I will betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness. The moment you are betrothed, you are no longer single and you are no longer searching. You are actually considered married. You are considered married. The moment you are betrothed, you are considered married because you are engaged. The bridal price has been paid already. We were bought by, precious, by the precious blood of Jesus, not by corrupt, corruptible things like you know, silver and gold, but by the incorruptible blood of Jesus, the incorruptible word of God. We were bought by the groomsman. He bought us. He purchased us. We belong to him. We are no longer single and searching. So it's only the single who are searching. We cannot be searching for righteousness. We are not single. We are. We cannot be searching for a relationship. We are in a relationship. We cannot be searching for another guy. We have a guy already. We are married. We are betrothed. We are engaged. We are having this beautiful thing going on between us and Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is right there in our spirits to remind us that you know what? There's some guy there. He has inscribed you at the palm of his hands. He has tattooed your name on the palm of his hands. He calls you the apple of my eye. That's who we are. So stop behaving and acting like you're single and you're searching. Rest. You have been found. You have been found. You were found. I was found. I'm in a relationship. I have to enjoy that relationship rather than me, you know, going all around trying to look. So don't behave like you're single. Now, look at Isaiah chapter number 4, verse, verse 1. Isaiah chapter number 4, verse 1. You know, people who want to behave like they're single. How do you know that somebody is behaving that, like they're single? They're still trying to f look for righteousness. They're still trying to seek for God. They're still trying to, you know. Now, what do marriage people do? You grow in knowing your spouse because you already have them. You already have the spouse. So what you need to now do is to increase in the knowledge of your spouse, not in you trying to look for him. You already have him. You actually carry his name. Amen? You carry the name of God. That's what you carry. We are called by his name. We have his name. We took his name. We are joined to the Lord. We are one spirit with the Lord. Don't act single. Don't behave like you're single. It's only single people who try and do all these things because they're trying to impress so that they can attract the people around. Well, you have been found. Right? You are right there. And all you do is now you, your life brings pleasure to the one who found you. And also he says, I am pleased in you. Don't try and work so hard to please him. He's already pleased in you. That's why he found you. Now, are you there? Isaiah chapter 4, verse number 1. It says, And in that day, again you find that language, in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food and wear our own apparel or garments. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Seven women will go to one man and say, You know what? Uh, we will... We'll eat our own food. We'll provide our own clothing. Wear our own stuff. We only want to be called by our own name so that we take away our reproach. Now, check out this. What's wrong about this verse? Here's what's wrong about this. 
about these seven women. They are going to, they are the ones taking hold of this man, which means they are the ones looking, who have looked for this man. It's not the men finding, it's them looking for a man. It's them finding a man. Okay? So religion is all about us trying to get the man, us trying to find the man. But we were found. So these seven women, they will go to one man. They will take hold of one man and say, we will eat our own food. Remember, they are the ones doing the talking. They are the ones doing, they are the ones who are, you know, they actually fast forward. You know, they are on fast forward uh, by a papa, you know. You know, if you've ever had someone says we are papa, you know. They, they all are around, you know. They are, um, you know, they're they, they, they all there, you know. Um, it says, we will eat our own food. They are, they are bringing terms to the relationship. They, they are not allowing the husband to bring the terms. They are the ones bringing the terms. We will eat our own food. Are you seeing what is happening here? The husband is supposed to provide. He says, I will be your husband. I will provide for you. I will make you. I will provide for you. But they come and say, we will provide our own food. So don't worry about you feeding us. We will take care of ourselves. And we will provide our own clothing. You know what? We don't want you to control us as far as what we put on. We'll put on what we want. Right? And you don't need to ask us. All we need from you is your name. Nothing else. This sounds like a lot of religious religious folks that we find out there. Right? Everything is provided for. Their own food. It's out of their own labor. So they're coming in. We'll labor for what we eat. You don't need to provide anything for us. We'll labor for what we put on. What is it that we eat as children of God? We are fed. We eat the word of God. That's who he is. How can you want to be called by someone's name and you don't let them provide and take their position in their life, in your life? So they're saying, we, we want just your name. We want the form of godliness. But everything in there, we don't want it. They deny the power thereof. They want to have the form on the outside. Right? We want to be called Christians. We want to be called believers. But we'll stop believing that the righteousness belongs, I mean, is yours. We'll look for our own righteousness. Because we, we are given the garment of righteousness. The Bible says we put on Christ. No, no, no. We don't want to put on Christ. We'll put on ourselves. So that when we come, we'll say, I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all. Look what I have done. Check my footsteps. Check my sweat. Check my labor. Check all the things that I've done for you. That's why a lot of people go with the Hezekiah kind of prayer. You know, when things are tough, you need to do like what Hezekiah did. He turned to the wall and he says, remember how I've walked before you. Remember my works. You are not Hezekiah. If you are to turn, you know, you know, some people say, well, you know, in times of difficulties, you need to take a chair. You put God there and you sit down and you say to him, remember what I have done for you. I have worked for you. What I have given you, if you have got receipts, you know, show him the receipts, you know, of your tithe, show him receipts of, you know, as if that money is even 10%. You are showing receipts of tithe that is not even the tenth of all because it's supposed to be of all. Right? Are you seeing what we are doing? We are becoming like that Pharisee who stood and says, this is what I do. I'm not like this publican. I'm not like these people. Usually we are the ones who are usually victims. We are not like these grace churches. We are not like them. We do this. We fast at the beginning of the year. We are not like these people. We do this. So everybody who is not fasting at the beginning of the year, according to you, is not as righteous. Oh yeah, we have themes of the year. We are not like these people. Oh, we have got a man of God. We are not like these people who do not have. We have like this. We have, you know, are you seeing? Everybody is pointing to everything that is not Jesus. How about you say, well, we are not like these people because we have Jesus. No, we don't talk about Jesus. Well, they have Jesus, but we have actually more than Jesus. We have something more than Jesus. We have other things that make us unique. We have other things that make us special. We have other things that we can call ourselves by. But I want you to know, if your boasting and your glory is not in Jesus who found you, it's worthless. It's filthy rags before the Lord. He says, I will betroth you in righteousness. 
It is my desire and my prayer to you, God's children, and to me as well, that our boasting be in the one who has made us righteous. He has made us righteous. He has actually given us all himself. He has given us himself. He left the beauty of heaven. The Bible says, let this mind be in you. What is this mind? The mind of humility. That although he was God, but he did not count it robbery to be equal with God. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. Took the form of a slave. Was made in the likeness of man. Why was he doing all this? So that our boast may be only in him. Our joy may only be found in him. Our glory may only be in him. Not in anything else. It is an insult to the cross of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we walk around and boast about everything that is not Jesus. It is an insult to the blood that was shed on the cross if our boasting is in all that we do and not Him. We sacrificed everything in order for Him to take all that we are and give us all that He is. I hope you've been blessed by the ministry of the word. I'm just going to pray for you now. And just uh, declare the blessing of the Lord that has been made available on the cross. And I want you do not be afraid. Uh, do not be scared. God has got you covered. You know what? Uh, His mercies endure forever. His righteousness endures forever. His goodness endures forever. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And He calls you righteous. Maybe you have been feeling condemned. In yourself, you, you have been looking at all the things that you have done wrong. Maybe somebody is refusing to forgive you. And you felt like, well, I will not be righteous up until that person says, you know, I've forgiven you. But I want you to know it is against the Lord and only the Lord that you have sinned. He calls you righteous and that is it. And because of that righteousness that you have received from God, you surely reign in this life. Not only in the life to come, but in this life. Because the life to come is actually the very life that we're living now. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for once again the opportunity to share your heart with your people. Lord, I pray that every person listening to this message today will glory in what you have provided. Not go on to seek our own righteousness and what makes us special and what makes us unlike other people. But Lord, we thank you because our identity is only in you. I declare your goodness over your people. I declare the blessing of the Lord by which you say we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places over your people. May it be known to them that they are blessed already. May it be known to them that they are righteous already. May it be known to your people. And may they walk in, may they walk in that boldness of the very knowledge that in you, they are clean, no record of sin, no record of weakness, because they are spirit. They are not their body, they are not their soul, they are spirit. To you be the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.